It's the Talk of Iowa Book Club from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. We have been reading We Heard It When We Were Young by Chewy Renteria. It's a coming-of-age memoir about growing up in West Liberty, Iowa, the first majority Latino town in the state. Located about 30 miles east of Iowa City, it is a thriving community that has gotten a lot of attention over the years for embracing the diversity of the community in the schools and elsewhere. When Renteria was growing up, the community was going through a sometimes difficult evolution. He writes about the challenges he and other first-generation or immigrant kids encountered. He also writes about the gulf between him and his parents who came to the United States from Mexico. My dad and I couldn't communicate with one another. Every time we tried, it was this stuttering, jagged mash of words. I never got to hear my dad wax poetic about his favorite band or have a nuanced discussion with his friends about politics. Mind you, these conversations did happen. My dad's shy, but when he's around people he knows and talking in the language he first learned, he can get downright loquacious. But when I was a kid and I was in the vicinity of these conversations, his words were noise. They were in Spanish. Charlie Brown adult vocalizations, wah-wahs with rolled R's. Here's another phenomenon that happens with boys and their fathers. Ask any boy how it felt the first time he realized his dad wasn't the best be-all and end-all, when he became a stronger teenager who could beat his aging father in sport, in physical competition. It feels terrible. It's this business of facing your own mortality in the face of the man who raised you. My dad's stilted English triggered this response in me. I learned to read young and always liked words. English words. Reading and communicating in English was me slam-dunking on my dad as a kid. That is an excerpt from We Heard It When We Were Young by Chewy Renteria, read by Chewy Renteria. And Chewy is here with me now. Welcome back to the show, Chewy. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back, Charity. And we talked about your book when it first came out, but now it has been a little over a year since it was published. I know that you have done a lot of public speaking and a lot of people have read your book. I'm sure a lot of people have talked with you about your book. So uh, let's talk about one of the, the, I think, harder parts for you in taking on this story is that, you know, West Liberty is this town that gets a lot of attention, a lot of positive attention. It's held up as an example of things going right with immigration, with integration, with growth in rural Iowa. So did that make it hard for you to share your story, which is not all positive? (laughs) It, yeah, it definitely did. And I think it was the way I describe it is it was like a tightrope and navigating while while writing it, while thinking about what I'm going to focus on. It, it's I keep on having these discussions with with different groups like, you know, I'll do conversations with students, high school students, college students um, that are Latino and Latina and there's kind of this shared understanding of like, oh, yeah, if you want to get to the truth, you have to give all the sides of it. And and what happens when I was really afraid of of if I'm going to get the whole picture out there, then really is the whole idea of like, you know, death of the author. Like people are going to take these words and use it for whatever agenda they have. And I had to be resilient and still being able to, to, to have that full picture. So yeah, it was definitely a challenge. Yeah. So a year out, how are you feeling about that? What has reaction within West Liberty been like? It, it's been actually really, I, I, I'm the type of person that always just, I'm, I'm ready for the worst of it, right? I'm ready for, I'm, I'm stealing myself for the negative, but it's been so 
I mean, the, the vast majority of it has been positive. The vast majority of it has been people who who understood what I was trying to do, even if it was prickly at times or even if they were, you know, I, you know, I talk about my family, my friends in this um, and, and, you know, not always in the best light. And I always tried to be fair about it, but I knew it's like this is, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> and and the, the, I've always been it always just it took me aback about how much people got it. They understood. And, and that's all I could really ask for. I can imagine that you have heard from a lot of people who are first generation Americans who really see themselves in this story. And you, you know, you just read a couple paragraphs about that, that gulf between you and your parents, which is so heart-wrenching. And we'll talk more about that. But tell me what you have heard from other people who share that experience of growing up in that in-between zone. Yeah, it, it's been it's been fascinating because, of course, you have, you know, looking specifically at like Mexican, Mexican-American, first-generation, second-generation folks. And, of course, it resonates with them. And they see it. But, you know, the other piece of West Liberty is West Liberty had a really big Laotian refugee population. And, you know, all the Laotians in West Liberty also, they, they'll see themselves and they'll like, oh, yeah, you know, you're talking about Jerry and Ta and Lucky and them. And they see that. But also the piece of it, I think that shared experience of being the children of immigrants or refugees and seeing this you know, this turmoil that happens. I've had people from, you know, I can't even list all of the different identities that have come to me, but they're like, okay, so I'm not Mexican, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Chinese or I'm, you know, like, you know, even Central American, Honduran, Guatemalan, Puerto Rican, all these different identities come in and they see that, that especially with it when there's language involved, if, if there's, you know, there's assimilation and there's this whole idea of like English versus the, the, the language that our parents use, like right. that's when it really resonates with folks. And, and that's something you write quite a bit about, the fact that you could mostly understand everything that was said in Spanish, but you never became fluent to the point where you could really engage and fully share your thoughts and emotions, or as you said in, the, in that excerpt, really engage with your dad and your mom and, and really have these heart-to-heart talks because while they both spoke English and Spanish, there just wasn't that shared fluency between you. And, you know, this is a coming of age story. I think a lot of us in our teen years were searching for connection, we're searching for belonging. You were, Mm -hmm, (laughs) definitely. mm -hmm. But the environment that you were in put you in this position of disconnection, in so many ways, disconnection with your parents, disconnection with your teachers, who, although some of them were really wonderful, didn't share your experience and really had no idea what you were going through. Um, And and disconnection between you and other students as well, Mm -hmm. because you were in this unique position. When you think about this as a story, I mean, obviously, it's ultimately a story of connection as Thank goodness (laughs) it is. Or you may not be sitting here across the table with me today. But when you think about that, that disconnection, that isolation, what do you hope people who read the book take away from that? 
I mean, I I I think the 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 least I can do is try to show an example of that, so other you know young adults, young children can say, oh, there's somebody else who went through that. There's somebody else. I'm not alone in that. Um, and I, I, I think it's really interesting to think about the idea of like connection and disconnection and the idea of what, what is worthy in our society. What, what is, I mean, to, be, to put a pin on it, like what's cool? Because a lot of it as kids, as, you know, 9, 10 to 14-year-old kids that a lot of the stories in this book take place in, um, you know, in the 90s, we didn't see ourselves on TV, in, in literature. We didn't read about ourselves. If we did, it was, you know, the, the, the maid. Um, it was, you know, gangbangers or things like that. And it, it took, now I think it's a little different because you do have representation. And that's, you know, it's that term that representation matters. And I think that this is a really key example of it. Like, I can have my stories and show that, I'm writing about my hometown. I'm writing about my stories and they're valid and they're interesting and people really like them. So right. I've talked to lots of kids now that are just like, oh, maybe I can write about my story too, which is awesome. Well, and the fact that you were in Iowa, you were the generation who was creating this culture in Iowa. There there was, yeah. even even if there was representation, it probably came from Texas or, or somewhere where there was a much larger Mexican-American population at the time. You guys were on an island. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, and I and I talk about that and think about that a lot, right? It's it's we. I say in the book, I was like, I I say ope, like you know, I say ope unironically, right? <laughs> and I'm like, we're we're not because there's this whole conversation of like you know, there's Texas Mexicans, there's California Mexicans, and then we're like we're Midwestern Mexicans, which is like you said, it's a new thing, relatively new, right? And so like, yeah, we're creating this identity for ourselves. There's also a universal experience um, for a lot of people, I can imagine, who read this book. Uh, you know, growing up in small town Iowa, you and I, you were on the, the book club conversation uh, when Bill Bryce, we talked about Bill Bryson's memoir of growing up in Iowa. There were so many parallels yeah. between your experience and his experience a generation earlier. But, you know, the the riding your bikes all over the place, the kind of freedom, the kind of unsupervised quote unquote, safe time. Yeah. <laughs> you guys weren't always being safe. But, um, you know, there there's also that universal Iowa culture aspect of that. Do people who don't share your background or that first generation status who've read the book, do they say, wait, th- this sounded a lot like my childhood? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, and I think that's been one of the really interesting um like entry points for folks, like they, 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 that resonates with them, or they see the parallels in their own lives, and I think that's one of the things, especially, you know, looking at the Midwest and even beyond. I think just that it's an American thing, right? Like if you're growing up in the '80s, '90s, early 2000s, there was this, this freedom, this. Um, uh, there is this I'm going to use this word like this emptiness to childhood that a lot of times could happen. You know, like we, the idea of like, you know, we were latchkey kids, right? Like both my parents were working. So yeah, after school, we had a couple of hours where we had to ourselves. And it's it's amazing how many different types of of individuals come to me with something similar or that's been one of the, the funnest things for, for myself is hearing 
the the parallels that people have like oh yeah we, we didn't like you know we didn't ride our bikes but you know or we didn't go as if thinking of a little bit older like high school age we did like gravel roading and driving right. around the gravel roads like we didn't do that but in texas we had this field that we went to that that was the field or like you know it's like we were high schoolers in the parking lot of right. the high school the landscape was, yeah, of, exactly. of teendom yeah. <laughs> all right we're gonna take a short break we'll be back in just a moment i'm talking with chewy renteria he is the author of we heard it when we were young published by university of Iowa Press. It is our Talk of Iowa book club book. And in just a moment, our expert readers will join the conversation. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's the Talk of Iowa Book Club from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. We have been reading We Heard It When We Were Young, Tales of Growing Up Mexican-American in Small-Town Iowa by Chewy Renteria. It is a memoir of growing up in West Liberty, Iowa, the first majority Latino town in the state of Iowa. And Chewy Renteria is here. It is also now time to introduce our expert readers. Matthew Morakin is a poet, an actor who grew up in Storm Lake. His collection of poetry is called Guanaco Binge, and he is on the line with us now. Hello, Matthew. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, Matthew, just give me your first impression of this book. I know this was the first time you picked it up. Tell me what your thoughts were. It The first, just when I read the first like five pages, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it was mind boggling. I, it was, I was listening in and I heard about like, yeah, it really is just an Iowan life. It's very Iowan, but it's also very like Latino. So I'm just like, wow, this is exactly the type of discourse that even I had to go through in a little bit different sense. Because I, I kind of claim myself as the generation right after I'd say Chewy, but it's, it was just like, wow, this is like me if I was born maybe 10 years before. <laughs> and it was, it was really good. Yeah. And you you and I have, have talked in the past, but um, let's talk a little bit about your background because you are El Salvadoran American. So you are also first generation, right? Yeah, Salvadoran American. Yeah, my parents are from El Salvador. I was born here in the U.S. and I lived in Storm Lake since I was like one. So <laughs> and, yeah, I've been, been out here all my life. Right. And Storm Lake, of course, another community that is incredibly diverse. I think West Liberty and Storm Lake get talked about in the same conversations a lot because this is a community with a lot of diversity, many different languages spoken in the schools, but but also a mm-hmm. bilingual program for students in the schools with which West Liberty also has. So there are a lot of parallels. Yeah, Storm Lake has, I think the elementary school, like, at least at one point had 30 languages being spoken there. And similar, like, the the similarities are crazy, too. We had that big Laotian community that came in in the 80s, those refugees as well. And then the Latinos started coming. And then all these other populations, you know, followed. But it was that heavy time in the 90s to early 2000s where the Latinos were coming, the Laotians were already there or, like, moving over. 
So very, very similar. Very, very similar background. Uh, and and we will we'll talk more about the experience that you, having grown up in Storm Lake, bring to this book as a reader in just a few minutes. I want to introduce our other expert reader as well. Dana Dominguez is here. She also grew up in West Liberty and is now a city council member and mayor pro tem of West Liberty and also member of the University of Iowa Latinx Council. Dana, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, and give me a little bit more about your background. As you, as I mentioned, you grew up in West Liberty around the same time as Chewy, right? Chewy was actually in my little sister's grade. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I remember Chewy being a lot smaller and hanging around my sister and all her friends quite often. <laughs> Excellent. So tell me about, you know, here you are still living in West Liberty, mm-hmm. someone who's very involved in the community. When did you first learn about the book? I think Chewy actually gave us a little hint that he was writing the book in one of our workshops. So it's kind of uh, full circle because Chewy actually is in a role now at the university that I was in. And um, he started coming to a lot of our our DEI classes. And, and the more and more he came to, the more he started sharing. And I remember him sharing to the group that he was um, part of the Interwoven series and that he was also, um, beca- I don't know if it was because of that experience, but that he was starting to write a memoir. Um, so I got a little preview, I think. Right. And I yeah. should mention, uh, <laughs> Chewy is Assistant Director of Inclusive Education at the University of Iowa. So that that's where you have another overlap. But um, were you a little nervous reading the book? Were you? <laughs> I was excited. I mean, I think the whole, our whole little town was like probably bugging him more than we should have about, you know, getting a sneak peek or when is it coming out? And I was super excited. I read it in like probably two or three days. Nice. So, yeah. And what was your reaction when you read it? Um, my face hurt from smiling a lot. Um, I I just, I went through a lot of emotions through the whole book. I remember the last, I think it was the, the very last, the, the, the last part, I don't know if it's three parts, four parts, I waited probably like two or three weeks because I didn't want it to end. And I knew it was going to be emotional because I had heard about it. And it's different when you know the folks, too, in yeah. the book because you you hear the story in Chewie's voice, but you also hear their responses in their own voices and you know their families and you know what they look like and what their demeanors are and things like that. So I think when you're from West Liberty, specifically when you grew up with those guys too, it really hits a place in your heart maybe that other readers might not feel. Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about um, the experience of being first generation and and Dana, tell me a little bit about your background, because we know both of Chewy's parents came to the United States from Mexico. So he was born here, grew up Mexican-American, Matthew Marroquin, Salvadoran-American. Tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I came a little bit differently. Uh, interestingly enough, um, of way of Del Rio, Texas, which was really cool because honestly, I didn't know until the last couple of years when we started doing the bilingual articles in the West Liberty Index that so many families came from Del Rio, yeah. um, which I thought was really cool. But I've grown up 30 plus years and never knew how many of the Latino families had come from Del Rio. So my dad, he was one of 11 um, 
his older siblings after he got out of the out of Marines came up to Iowa to work in the meatpacking plants. They're already second generation uh, Mexican Americans, uh, Tejanos, you know, and but they needed the work and they came up and my dad got out of the Marines and came to live with my tia and started working in the plant. And that's where he met my very white mother, um, who was a secretary um, at the time at the at the, the meatpacking plant. And had me 10 months later. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah. and so you grew up in in between in different ways. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and my sister as well, because she, I look like my mother. I can easily pass as white. I had a different experience because of that. And I didn't know that until I was an adult. Yeah. Um, and she had a different experience because she looks 100% Latina. And I honestly didn't even realize that until we started getting closer as adults and we both started having children, like just how she's treated at the hospital different than me when we're having children wow. and, and things like that. So interesting. And that wasn't something that you and she talked about Not when at you were all. growing up. Not at all. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's so interesting to think, uh, Chua, you start the book with this just heart-wrenching story of a racist encounter that you had as a 10-year-old boy. Um, and maybe maybe you should tell us, uh, for people who haven't read, a little bit about the experience. Yeah, it, it it's one of those memories that haunts me, for, for lack of a better word. But it's I, I was uh, fairly young, I think like 10 or 11, and walking by the high school uh, to go home because, you know, we were walking everywhere. And so after school, we walked home across town. And there was a high school couple that I didn't even realize at first that they were talking to me because I was in my own little world with my backpack walking. And um, they, the, the, the male of the couple was just hurling these racial epithets at me and, you know, saying stuff I can't repeat on the radio. And it it all culminates and it ends up being the, the, the title of the book because the his girlfriend said, you know, he's just a kid. You should stop. And and he said, no, they need to hear it. They need to hear it young. And I remember I remember it. And one of the fascinating and kind of scary things about the book and how small our community is, is I started getting inklings of people saying like, do you know who that is? Can we find who that is? I'm like, I don't want to know who that is, right? That's in the past and let's keep it in the past. But, you know, in my own way, writing about it is is has been a way to to confront that memory and make it real for other folks as well. Wow. And it's so interesting, Dana. I mean, you you were just saying that because of how you look, you didn't experience the same kinds of things growing up in West Liberty that that Chewy's describing there. So it was that somewhat shocking to you to to read that story. I actually was able to hear this story before the book came out in another workshop that Chewy was able to attend. And I I, th- I remember there's an activity where we have to stand into identity. And oftentimes, because I was a facilitator, I was the only one that could stand into uh, Latinx identity. Mm-hmm. But I remember being excited because Chewy was there that day, and I knew I wouldn't be alone. And so when he agreed to go up and tell the story to a, a room full of strangers, and it was really emotional, and I was I was. I was sad for Chewy, but also just angry. I felt like my community let Chewy down. And I felt the loneliness when he's telling this story. And, you know, when you're when you're so built up in a community that diversity is our strength and we back each other up and we're different. 
and and then hearing the trauma that this has caused someone from our community and this was before I was a council member or even thought about it it it's heartbreaking that we as a community let one child down how many others have we let down right well and i mean chewy i'm sure that that wasn't a unique experience it wasn't a unique experience in your life but i'm sure that many other kids in West Liberty and many other first-generation Americans have told you, yeah, they, almost the same thing happened to me. Yeah. No, I, most definitely. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a situation of having to hold multiple truths at the same time, right? And, and I always come back to it. Like, so yeah, I did have those experiences in West Liberty. And also, we had the most joyous upbringing as well, almost simultaneously. And also, to add another layer to it, we were also committing acts of you know, of, of violence, of, of inducing trauma on others as children, too. So the thing that r- reminds me, Dana, that you're here, you know, there's also this social strata that happens within communities, right? So it's like, how Mexican are you? Right. And that's it's interesting because, Dana, I remember asking on social media, being like, oh, do you know, do, do you remember any names you were called? And you said one because you were half half white, half Mexican, and how the Mexicans had a, you know, like they're, they're, we have this you know, pecking order in that mm-hmm. regard, too. So, yeah. Right. There's that yeah. other piece of it. Yeah. I am the unfinished taco in Chewy's book. Yep. Yep. That's <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. That's what we said. Well, and, and Chewy, you also write about a, a moment that I know that you're not proud of where, you know, there was a new immigrant from Central America who you were unkind to. Mm-hmm. And and so that, that pecking order went all the way through. Yeah. And Matthew, I would love to hear your reaction to reading that story that Chewy shared right in the beginning of the book about being just a, a 10-year-old kid and experiencing this racist attack. I mean, it still happens today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely still happens today. I remember, I mean, growing up, Storm Lake felt like a bubble. It's a little, that's why I say I like to think myself like a generation after Chewy because that struggle that happened was probably just the decade before me. So by the time I was in high school, most of our trouble were with the other schools, as I know Chewy kind of mentions off. But like struggles like that would happen to my family outside of our town. I remember my sister driving home from college and someone getting angry at her at a Casey's when she was just getting trying to pay for gas, right? Saying like, why are you why are you serving her first? Why are you why are you serving their people first when they're not the ones they're the ones who uh, took out our president? And next, you know, um, as she was driving away, this man threw a Gatorade bottle, an open Gatorade bottle, at her windshield. And you got to remember, this was in winter when it was you know under twenty degrees. So it's like, oh, that's kind of dangerous, kind of radical, yeah. kind of crazy that this is happening this happened what a year ago two years ago wow so not that long ago so this uh i think that that's a wake-up call for readers who don't share this background that this we want to resign it to the past but it's not it's not a part of the past and it's not a part of the past in iowa as well and i can imagine uh, matthew did that make you reluctant to Go places outside of Storm Lake when you were growing up. Uh, it was more so 
Yeah, like I, I definitely felt off. I just remember in school, our teachers would like tell us like, hey, you got to act a certain way because we're going to go to this competition out of town. And whatever happens to you is going to be 10 times worse than if it happens to another school. Like you gotta, you gotta be conscious about that. You gotta be conscious about how we act. We gotta be the most respectful. We gotta be the kindest. We have to be almost held to a higher standard than everyone else because the repercussions for Storm Lake would be all the much worse, like much, much worse than it would be for an all or predominantly white school. Um, Chewy mentioned something about like the three S: food, festivals, and fun. And that's something I also identify with, like just coming from a super diverse town, there's still work to be done. There's always work to be done because they, they tend to love our culture for the food. They love our their tacos, you know, they like our festivals. Uh, they like their fun. But when it comes outside of that, there's so much still happening underneath. Well, and you... Um... You both have mentioned uh, interacting with other schools. And um, Chewy, I'll, I'll go back to you. I mean, when you would play football and and encounter other schools in the area, there would be all again this racist vitriol spewed at your team. Even your friend who went by the moniker White Josh, when he was playing football, he felt like he was Mexican too. Because yep. <laughs> he felt like they were they were saying these things to him. But yeah. I mean that was that was a very normal and accepted part of your reality. Yeah, yeah. And and what Matthew just said really resonates with me because I think we had a very similar um, uh, we've had those talks from teachers and coaches about going to other towns. And and it's really interesting to think about almost the the ebb and flow of progress, right? Like you, you'll make some progress and then things will go back and then you'll make, I don't, I don't think it's progress as in a, a direct line, a direct like ascension. Um, and so this idea of Oh, you know, ten years ago, it was it was we we were dealing with this. For my older siblings, who are five and ten years older, they had it even worse in the '80s. And how, yeah, but then it, we still have this thread of of trickiness and yeah. and, and things that happen. And and I, I'm I'm I'll, I'm walking a tightrope right now because I also know for these towns that we grew up around, a lot of them also like they have to think about they've also grown right and you know so it's like that was something that i was thinking about as well like i can't i have to be careful about how i'm i'm talking about these experiences because these people are still around as well but they're also true real experiences we're going to take a short break we'll be back in just a moment we are talking about we heard it when we were young by chewy renteria this is talk of iowa from ipr news Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's the Talk of Iowa Book Club from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. We have been reading We Heard It When We Were Young by Chewy Renteria, Tales of Growing Up Mexican-American in Small Town, Iowa. It is a memoir of growing up in West Liberty, Iowa, the first majority Latino town in the state of Iowa. Chewy Renteria is here along with Matthew Marroquin. He is a poet and actor who grew up in Storm Lake. His collection of poetry is called Guanaco Binge. And Dana Dominguez is here 
who also grew up in West Liberty. She is now a city council member and member of the University of Iowa Latinx Council. And uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, encounters with racism in this book, but then also very real, very present encounters with racism in Iowa today and over the past years. And I want to um, drill down a little bit on something you brought up, Matthew. You mentioned the the three F's, food, festivals, and fun. And that's, you know, of course, when we do celebrate diversity in a community, that is how we celebrate diversity in a community. We eat food, we have festivals, we have a good time. But um, Matthew, I'll, I'll let you start. Chewy, I know you wrote about those three F's, but, but Matthew, that was something that really resonated with you. And I know that, uh, of course, Storm Lake tries to celebrate diversity in that way. That seems like a good thing, but you feel like it's double-edged in a way? It is a good thing, but a lot of people consider that to be the only part of culture that exists. We, too, have our parades with, you know, all these floats and stuff. I know Shui talks about the lowrider that goes through the parades. For us, we have the Festival of Nations that goes through our 4th of July parade where we celebrate, you know, all the cultures and all this stuff. Our, you know, festivals always tend to have these booths or stands from all these different ethnic uh, makeup groups. But the thing is, there's there's more to it. Chewy does a great job of talking about the in-between time. So outside of the food, outside of the festival, outside of the fun, what's the work being done within those breaths we take in between? Between Fourth of July's, between homecoming parades, between, you know, those those definite lines there. Yeah, we know how to celebrate this part of the culture. And we know how to accept these, you know, what would be seen as the best parts of the culture. But there's so much more to culture. There's the mannerisms. There's the way people live. Culture is complex and big and, you know, difficult to understand. How do the people who have been there for, you know, generations and generations learn to understand the culture and the work that needs to be done within the town? How do the policies change to fit, you know, the town that, is um, the people that make up the town at this point. And that's kind of where I'm like seeing at it. I think Storm Lake's doing a pretty good job in heading in the right direction, but there's obviously work that needs to be done. There's always work that will need to be done, you know? Yeah. And Chewy, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think I think an interesting insight into that, and, and I know I mentioned it in the book, is who originally introduced that concept to me. So when I was working at Hanshaw Auditorium here in Iowa City, I I worked with the artist that we had come through, and it was uh, an artist by the name of Azam, and Azam was in a group called Niaz, um, and they're uh, from, she's originally from Iran, and she talked to me about, you know, I'm 
Niaz is considered like, you know, a, a world music. Um, and she had a, a bunch of opinions about that. But it's also she's like, so we have this concept of food festivals and fun. And I think it's really interesting to, th- to think about that with all of the current happenings happen- happening in Iran right now, specifically with women and how she was very much an outspoken uh, feminist. And so I think that really resonated with me. And I, I kept it with me when I was writing this and thinking about, yeah, everything Matthew said, I agree with. Right. It's the idea. It's the it's the life that happens in between. That's really interesting. Well, and Dana, of course, you. You are a policymaker. You you are, are in there trying to make West Liberty as inclusive as, as you possibly can. Okay. How does reading about this and thinking about it in that way, how does that make you think about what a city needs to do? Well, I think there's a lot of work to do when it comes to looking at the systemic structures that have um, created uh, our government, our local government, and how things are continuing to be run that were the same way, you know, 100 years ago, that weren't built to serve uh, such a diversity with several different backgrounds and ethnicities and and cultures and things like that. So um, just having that conversation with um, other folks uh, on council historically have probably been incredibly difficult. Now we have a majority Latino council. And even then, because of the different varying experiences of how we got to West Liberty and and things like that, it's been quite difficult. And also, you can't just have conversations with other council members if you have a quorum. So just communicating with each other to talk about these these policies that need to be, happen and, and the politics behind it that were never really meant to serve the people of a city, but the coffers of a city, right, um, is really difficult. And it's been really challenging. But um, I think Honestly, what's what's can, made me continue is just the fact that I can't quit. You know, they want me to quit. I'm not going to quit. It's been rough, but I'm not going to quit. So, all three of you share something else in common, and that is that you are all first generation college students. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chewy, you write a, a little bit about that in the memoir. There's a, a large part that's about growing up in West Liberty. We haven't even talked about your breaking career, yeah. <laughs> which is is just a really wonderful, wonderful part of the book when you discover dancing and really can throw <laughs> yourself into that and find this amazing community, which has its own difficult elements yeah. <laughs> as well. But, um, you know, some it's a it's a really incredible part of the story as well. But I do want to talk about and, and I know Dana and Chewy, you both work with first generation college students all the time. This is an important part of what you do. But that that part of the book, Chewy, really struck me again. I mean, I've talked to first generation college students from a variety of different backgrounds. And it's it, just it's such an incredibly challenging position to be in. And I think that for those of us who haven't had that experience, it is hard to fathom how foreign the college experience can feel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I I literally just last week to talk to a group of um, academic advisors about this very concept. And w- a couple of things I can mention, the first one being that, so when I came to the eventually to the University of Iowa, there was this dissonance that happened where I felt homesick, which is really 
crazy because it's only 20 minutes away and i've talked since then i've talked to different counselors and i've i, I let i let them know about that phenomenon and they're like oh yeah every student that we talk mm-hmm. to from west liberty has that and there's this extra guilt of like oh yeah but like you know my parents they're not four hours away they're not on the coast they're not in texas like they're just 30 minutes but it's still it feels so like you said so foreign um and and then the other thing too is for me my my path was i was a transfer student so i went to kirkwood first and i think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of amazing departments in the university you know like trio and iowa edge program that work with first generation specifically like a lot of first generation students from west liberty but since i was a transfer student i kind of got lost in the Mm. shuffle and that's one of the things i talked with with these academic advisors that you know like kind of alluding back to what i said you you make progress kind of with the ebb and flow and some of that ebb and flow is you find okay so all these freshmen coming in we can we can hit them when they're freshmen and and get them a good cohort of students and here's all the the campus but for transfer students they don't have that right so so then it becomes this like maybe we can focus on that maybe in two years maybe in 10 years right so it's like progress happens in Mm -hmm. ebbs and flows dana you want to add to that yes for me i went to uni and um I remember so clearly when I when I discovered how separate different races were on campus. Like when you grow up in West Liberty, you're not used to that really. You're you have Laotian friends, you have Indian friends, you have Latino friends, you have white friends, you have mixed friends and and everybody dates everybody and it's not a big deal but like at you and I I just remember you know all the you know the black students would hang together and all the not just the latino students but the uh puerto ricans from chicago would hang together and it was so separate and so that was a culture shock for me like and me being biracial like I I didn't know where to go, like, yeah. or where to fit in, you know. So I remember feeling homesick big yeah. time and, and missing that, missing that kind of, like, camaraderie um, that you get when you grow up with a really diverse class. Because our classes are small, and we get to know each other from kindergarten through senior year um, pretty closely, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew, you stayed in Storm Lake to go to college. You went to Buena Vista, right? Yeah, I did go to Buena Vista University. Oh my! I was I was waiting for me. Um, <laughs> I'm writing a keynote. I'm I, I have a keynote speech I got to do later this week on this very thing. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember my freshman year of college, first semester. I entered the classroom and realized, dang, I'm the only brown kid in here. <laughs> I remember walking into the first ever classroom where I was the only person of color. Mind you, this was an education class. Mind you, we were discussing diversity on that day. Mind you that every single person in that room stared at me when the word diversity was dropped. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know. I was part of one of these programs, this first generation programs, with, which honestly, without, I probably would have fallen through the cracks a lot more than I did. It was tough. I, I was in my hometown. I was in my hometown right next to the lake, the, you know, Storm Lake, what we're named after. Yeah, I still felt like I was in a bubble of, you know, a different, a different world. Yeah. I felt homesick even though I was within my very own town because although the town is, you know, deemed as the most diverse in all of Iowa currently, it's that one of its university is predominantly white institution. So it was 
finding where I belonged and feeling lost all at the same time. Wow. So we only have about four or five minutes left. And, uh, you know, the Iowa diversity continues to grow. There are a number of communities in the state. Denison is another one where, you know, the the diverse community has reached a, a level of integration. And I clearly am not trying to say that any of these towns are perfect and that, that there aren't challenges for, for everyone in, in these communities, as, you know, this story shows us so clearly. But, you know, this is the way that Iowa will grow economically. This is the way that a labor force will be able to serve and fill the jobs that we have in Iowa. So the the experiences that you've had in West Liberty and that, Matthew, that you've had in Storm Lake, these are going to continue happening in Iowa. Some will be done well, some will not be, be, be done well. But, you know, Chewy, I would love to hear your thoughts. Just briefly, I'd love for, to hear from all of you. When Iowans who don't share this background, don't don't have a first-generation background or an immigrant, an immediate immigrant, we're all immigrants, most mm-hmm. of us, um, a lot of us, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, don't have that background, read this story. What do you hope we can learn and carry with us as we move forward? I think, I think to put a pin on it, th- just the word that I would use was was empathy, right? So so even just just approaching the book and, and and engaging with it is is an act of opening yourself up. I would encourage folks to keep on going, right? If you if you want to be an ally, we talk a lot about allyship in my work. If you want to be an ally, think of it as a practice. So what are you doing today? What are you doing tomorrow? What, how are you doing it in a way that feels real to yourself? So it's not just performing. It's just not, you know, it's not just, um, you know, checking boxes because we've seen that happen. We, we felt that. I think everybody, you know, being talking today, we've we've always felt that that kind of hollow gestures. So make it real for yourself. And Matthew, I'll let you go next, because uh, clearly you, you talked about how it was kind of mind blowing to read this experience and think, oh, you know, somebody else has been in in my shoes in so many ways. What do you want people to take away from reading this book? I mean, Chewie wrote the thing and he covered it really darn well because <laughs> allyship was my type of deal. But yeah, just the overall idea of reflection. Like, these people, if another Iowan's reading this, this, Chewy lived a life not too different from a typical Iowan. But the only difference was he has brown skin. So that definitely that idea of allyship, that idea of reflection in your everyday life, like, how how can I be an ally? How can I, you know, help out? Where Where do I, where are my faults? What can I get better at? Where are my strengths? That's that's kind of the idea I hope people kind of take with them. Dana, I'm going to give you the final word. And I, I know this is a, a cause very close to your heart yeah. in, in your work at the University of Iowa, but also in your work as a city council member. Right. I would say education is key. I mean, if you're fighting this narrative of immigration um, politically and how you think about that and um, – just educating yourself and understanding that there are communities who 
embraced immigrants who can be successful, where um, they integrate those programs to try to include all of our youth, all of our children. Um, at one point, we were one of the safest cities in Iowa, as, and we were also the number one public um, high school in Iowa, um, and, but we were a community of color. And so thinking about seeking out those stories that, um, that really um, will challenge your own stereotypes and your own narratives um, can, can do wonders to expand your mind and to really start thinking about our future and how immigration um, can, can put, us, put us forward. Enriches us all. Exactly. E- economically and culturally mm-hmm. and personally. Absolutely. Dana Dominguez, thank you. Thank you so much. Matthew Morakin, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And Chewy Renteria, thank you so much. Thanks, Charity. We have been talking about, we heard it when we were young, tales of growing up Mexican-American in small-town Iowa, published by University of Iowa Press by Chewy Renteria. I want to thank Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City for providing books for our readers. And also... Thank you to Caitlin Troutman and Sam McIntosh for their help on the program today. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.